Friends, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We are in week 4 of our series in Ephesians 1 that we're calling From the Mountain Peak. In the past two weeks, we've looked at chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 from a bird's eye view. We've really uh, taken a look at the expanse of this great salvation we have in Jesus. And last week, we talked about uh, how our salvation is firmly fixed in the hands of our triune God. God the Father authors salvation. God the Son accomplishes salvation. God the Spirit applies salvation. And he does all this for his glory. So he saves us for his glory. And then we who are saved, we live to the praise of his glory. That's the end of all ends, the glory of God. Well, now what we do is we take the telescope and we begin to look down at the ground, look at very specific verses and to treasure then uh, all the riches we see there. And so today we're looking at verses three and four in a sermon entitled, Every Spiritual Blessing. If you are able, I invite you to stand with me. Standing is an act of worship for the reading and the receiving of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter one, verses three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Would you be seated? And pray with me once more as we ask God's blessing upon this time. Father, the truths of Scripture are eternal truths that come down and speak to people in time and in space. And so here in this hour, amongst this gathered body, would you come and speak to us? Would you reveal yourself and the riches of your word and the beauty of your salvation? Do it for your glory. Do it for our soul's good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, last year, uh, a friend of mine uh, ordered uh, a 10-pound piece of Wagyu steak that was on sale from Costco. Now, if you know anything about Wagyu steak, it's a very, very expensive cut of meat. And so uh, the plan was to assemble a whole group of guys, very hungry guys together, and decide that we would split uh, that steak, cut it into various slices, and each take home our part. And I remember when I got mine, uh, I put it in the freezer and I said, this would be only eaten on the most special of days. Uh, and it was eaten and consumed uh, gloriously on this past Valentine's Day. And let me just tell you this about Wagyu steak. I mean, it, it is wonderful. <laughs> it is truly, truly wonderful. If you've not had this kind of steak before, it's not so much about eating food, but it's it's about experiencing an emotion. It's, it's, uh, words can, can hardly describe what it's like because um, it is such a, uh, a rich, uh, even fatty, juicy piece of meat. If you've ever had a piece, I mean, you have to know that there's a proper way to eat it. There's an improper way to eat it and a proper way to eat it. Because if you eat it too quickly, you kind of miss out on all that the steak is offering you. I mean, you chew it slowly because as soon as you bite it, the fat begins to melt and cover your mouth and the juices start exploding in your mouth like the 4th of July. And all of a sudden, the tenderness of the steak is just giving under your every bite. It is a wonderful experience. There's a right way to eat this and a right way to enjoy it, and there's a wrong way. And anything less than a thoughtful way of eating this, taking your time slowly, 
and eating it with uh, patience, right? anything short of that is just kind of ruining all the, the glories of what the steak is giving you. You must savor every bite. I bring that up because when I think of Ephesians chapter 1, it is the Wagyu steak of the Bible. Now, in this chapter, we've seen the glories of our salvation from the mountain peak, the magnificent, majestic glories of salvation. But when we start getting down into the actual verses, we begin to see that the ground is littered with diamonds. There is so much to feast on and enjoy. My first exhortation is simply this. As we spend time in Ephesians chapter 1, I really want to encourage you, exhort you, and challenge you to take the time to memorize this chapter. Now, it seems like a lot. If you try to memorize 23 verses at once, it will be a lot. But luckily for you, we will go nine chapters or nine um, sermons uh, over Ephesians chapter one. We've done three so far. Today starts uh, the fourth. And every week we will consider just two verses in the book of Ephesians. One week there will be three verses, but we'll consider just two. So I want to challenge you in preparation for coming to service to take the time to memorize the scriptures. And as you do so, as you memorize, it'll actually help you meditate because what it does is the spirit will not only uh, put it in your mind, but he'll actually begin to seal it on your hearts so that the scriptures no longer are something out here that you access, but they're something that are a part of you and the spirit can help bring it into remembrance when necessary. So I do want to encourage you to memorize slowly to enjoy this book and this chapter in particular. Well, we're beginning with verses three and four, and here's our gospel truth, a one sentence summary today. A grasp of our spiritual blessings will lead us to sing God's blessings and sacrifice material blessings. A grasp of our spiritual blessings will lead us to sing God's blessings and sacrifice material blessings. So we're going to get started looking at that gospel truth. And let's begin here. Ephesians chapter 1 is broken up into two sections, two main sections. The first section is what we call the praise portion of the letter. Now in the praise portion, that's verses 3 to 14, Apostle Paul blesses God because we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus. Every spiritual blessing from eternity past to eternity future we have in Jesus. And so Paul begins praising God. And the second portion of the letter, verses 15 to 23, is the prayer portion. Paul begins asking God to open up the spiritual eyes of our hearts so that we would know and grasp the reality of these blessings. So the first part, praise God for the blessings. The second part, praying, God, help me understand these blessings. So we begin in chapter one with verse three, which begins this one long run-on sentence in the original Greek. Verses three to 14, it's 12 verses, it's one sentence. And it's this way because Paul is exploding forth in overflowing praise. And Paul begins that praise section by setting the trajectory in verse three. So read with me this note of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts that way because he's saying everything that I'm going to say that follows until noted otherwise, everything is an overflow of this blessing to the Father. Everything that I'm going to talk about afterward is a new lyric added to the song of praise that is directed to God. Now, I mention this because chapter 1, verse 3 didn't have to begin this way. Paul could have began and left this clause out. 
In fact, Paul could have just made a propositional statement. He could have said this in verse three, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He could have written that and it would have communicated theologically everything that he wanted the reader to know. This is what God has done. But Paul doesn't choose to state the truth of our salvation. He chooses instead to sing it. Paul doesn't choose to merely explain the blessings of God. He chooses instead to exalt over the blessings of God. So he doesn't begin, God has blessed us in Christ. He begins, blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this beginning is so important because it's setting the trajectory of everything that follows. Imagine with me, someone came up to you after service and they said this, whenever I'm late to church, I know that the praise portion is not over because from outside of the doors, I can hear you singing. Is that a negative comment, a positive comment, or neutral? And it's, well, you could take it however you want to. But if someone said to you after service, hey, don't take this the wrong way. But when I'm late to church, I can hear you singing from outside. Then all of a sudden, you know, oh, what they're saying is that I'm obnoxiously loud in my singing. But if someone comes to you and they say, hey, I really want you to know this. Your voice is amazing. When I'm running late to church, I know praise isn't over because I can hear you singing from the parking lot. They are complimenting your singing. How you begin the phrase changes the trajectory of what you say. When Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is telling you that everything he's going to say falls under this doxological umbrella, this umbrella of praise and worship to God. Everything falls under it. So why does Paul say God is blessed? What are the reasons? And he writes in verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, Paul writes heavenly places. Our blessings are in the heavenly places. That does not mean that the blessings of the gospel are only in heaven. As if the blessings of the gospel are waiting for you on the finish line and you have to die, finish, cross over into eternity, and then enjoy the blessings. That's not what Paul means. Your spiritual blessings in the heavenly places means that your blessings are part of this unseen world of spiritual reality. Your blessings are not physical and material. They are spiritual in nature. That's why he says every spiritual blessing. He's saying when you are blessed in Christ, you are not blessed with every earthly treasure and every temporary pleasure. You're not blessed in Christ with health and wealth. You're not blessed in Christ with things that you can see, touch, smell, eat, taste, hear. These are spiritual blessings. Blessings given and poured out by the Holy Spirit. They're the blessings we need most. And Paul actually spends the rest of this chapter talking about some of those spiritual blessings. What are the blessings you enjoy? And God's saying, I'm not offering you long life. I'm not offering you uh, promotion after promotion. I'm not offering you the biggest house and a great salary and a nice corner office. I'm offering you adoption, redemption, forgiveness of sins, a guaranteed inheritance. I'm offering you every spiritual blessing. And this is so important because it's precisely these spiritual blessings that we cannot buy and purchase with money or silver or gold. These are not blessings that you can work to achieve and receive. These are not blessings that you can merit or earn with hard work and effort. These are blessings in the heavenly places 
So you can't get them on your own. They can only be given to you. You have no access apart from the one giving them. Every once in a while, my brother who uh, lives in Hong Kong with his wife, uh, they go out exploring and because it's a different country and a different culture, they see all sorts of interesting things. And uh, yesterday morning, uh, my sister-in-law Kathleen sent us a family uh, text of this uh, picture. I I have it up here. Um, She sent us this picture. Now, if you uh, can read this, this this is in Korean, but uh, let me just translate what it says. It says, uh, potato chip, potato chip. And on the bottom, it's a little small handwriting, uh, it's very small writing, but it says this, spicy intestine flavor. <laughs> spicy intestine flavor. That's like, I don't want to try these chips, but if I wanted to, if you wanted to, you and I couldn't go to the local Wegmans and find these. You and I couldn't go to uh, Whole Foods and get these. These chips are available in Hong Kong. And unless they are purchased and then sent to you by another person, you can't get them on your own. In the same way, the spiritual blessings that we need are in the heavenly places. And unless they are given to you by God, you and I could never possess them. We cannot purchase them. We don't have access to them. It is God who gives you the blessings that are in the heavenly places. And so these blessings, every single one of them, they come to us now in Jesus. That's why Paul writes, who has blessed us in Christ. What he's saying is by grace, God gifts us. God gives us every spiritual blessing that is undeserved in Christ or because of Christ. And this is the amazing thing about the way the gospel works. Because the gospel says that when you come to God, you come not spiritually bankrupt, spiritually impoverished. When you come to God, you come with nothing good. You don't come empty-handed. Sometimes we have the idea, oh God, we come to you empty. You don't come to God empty-handed. You don't come to God with good works, but you do come to God with a mountain of the debt of your sin. You come to God with a stack of bills that are left unpaid that say written on them every transgression against God and against neighbor and the required payment, what you owe, eternal death, eternal punishment. The gospel says you come to God spiritually bankrupt with nothing but this trail of the debt of your sin. And when you come to God, he is willing to make an exchange with you. God in his grace, for some reason, says to you, okay, I see that. And in place of every spiritual blemish of yours, I will give you every spiritual blessing of mine. God says, I will take your rags and I will exchange them with riches. I will give you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what God is offering He says, we have these blessings. He says, we have them already. Look at what he says. Paul writes, who has blessed us in Christ. He's saying these blessings are presently yours. They're already yours. They're not blessings that God uh, has collected and is waiting for you uh, to be received at a future time. God doesn't have these blessings waiting for you in heaven. And he's waiting to see when you cross the finish line to see your performance and your track record. How well did you run for me? How, uh, how faithful were you? How many good works did you do? And then a portion for you of reward according to how well you ran. These blessings are already yours in Jesus Christ. Not half of the blessings, not some of the blessings, not most of the blessings, every spiritual blessing. Sometimes we imagine 
as if God is some kind of video game designer and he's kind of hidden these spiritual blessings. And if you open a special door or you look under a special seat, oh, there are new blessings. As if God can release a new update and there are new blessings available. What the scripture are telling us is that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ so that whether you have small faith or big faith, weak faith or strong faith, every spiritual blessing is yours because there is no greater gift, grander gift, glorious gift for those who are better Christians. There aren't levels of gold, platinum, diamond. God is gracious with every spiritual blessing. And then he confirms it almost as if he's reading your mind and he understands and you're going, well, how, how gracious is his graciousness? And so Paul then writes in verse four, this statement, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What Paul means when he says this is, God desired to give you blessings before you deserved the blessings. God desired to give them before you deserved to get them. God determined that it would please him. It would oh so please him to shower a blessing upon you before you did anything to please him. That God was so pleased to shower you with blessings before you did anything to displease him. This is why the gospel is good and gracious news. So these blessings, they come to you in Christ, meaning they are secured and sealed for you, not by your works, but by the works of another. Not by your perfection, but by the perfection of another. Not by your performance, but by the performance of another. He did this in eternity before the foundation of the world. Why? So you could make no claim on it. And Paul writes, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It's interesting what goes on here. God chose you not because you were already holy and blameless. He chose you to make you holy and blameless before him, meaning that the blessings are yours apart from your status and your state of holiness and blamelessness. Your blessings don't operate in a volatile marketplace like a stock market that can perform well one day and perform poorly the other day, as if your blessings go up and down depending on how you are living for God. Rather, they are secured in Jesus. They're offered fully to you, never to be taken, never to be lost, never to be forfeited, never to be withdrawn or withheld. Why? Because Christ has lived the perfect, holy, and blameless life. He has earned and achieved and received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And now out of his grace, he says, if you believe in me, if you are in me, I will share them with you. And therefore, when we are united to him by faith, what is his becomes ours. You cannot go into heaven, go into Jesus' room, look under his bed and find a special box of secret blessings that he's kept for himself. There is none. All that he has earned and merited, he gives to you. These are the blessings you have, friends. And if you believe this, if you grasp what it means to have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, there are at least two things that will happen. So let me tease out two applications from this. The first is this. You will sing blessings to God. You know, one way you can tell if somebody has really grasped the promises of the gospel is to look at their life, to look at your life, and notice either the presence or the absence of worship. 
whether that's in, in speech, whether that's in thought, whether that's in deed, how are you engaging in blessing God? What priority and place are you giving to bless the Lord in your life? You know, so often we try to determine the maturity of a Christian, the progress of a Christian, the growth of a Christian by looking at external things. And one of those things is how precise are they with their words? We look at precision of words. How well can they articulate the gospel, defend the gospel, define the gospel? And if they do a good job, we say they must be a Christian or they're growing as a Christian. And we look for the precision of words, but we don't so much pay attention to the presence of worship. Okay, yeah, they can explain the gospel well, but are they exalting over the gospel? Some of us in this room, let's be honest, uh, we are satisfied with where we are spiritually because we've amassed and accumulated enough information over the years. And so we're growing in head knowledge. We're growing in, in our ability to, to speak about the gospel. We're growing in our ability to discern bad teaching and good teaching. And therefore, we think we've arrived as a Christian. But here's what you need to know. Knowledge proves you understand the gospel, but only worship proves you've experienced the gospel. You know what knowledge proves? Knowledge proves that you have grasped the gospel with your head. But worship proves that the gospel has grasped your heart. We're more concerned with articulation or adoration. And this is why Apostle Paul never just states the blessings. Ephesians 1 could have been written in bullet point. This is what you have. This is what you have. This is what God has done for you. But it doesn't begin that way. It begins with an explosion of praise, a worshipful doxology. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Singing God's blessings is a better measure of how one is doing spiritually. You know, let's say that a five-year-old won a school raffle. Right? They gave 25 cents, they won a raffle ticket. They thought this was, this was for a, a pizza lunch, right? The grand prize of any five-year-old. But it turns out that the whole raffle was set up by a billionaire. And he intended that whoever run this raffle would win all of his inheritance, a billion dollars. And so the kid, he wins the raffle. He's like, wait, so where's my pizza? And they're like, no, 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 no. You want a billion dollars? You can have all the pizza you want in the world. And he looks at you and he's like, oh, you know, but, but pizza? And... You say to him, do you understand that you've just won a billion dollars? Like, how would you tell if that kid understood? On the one hand, that could say, yeah, I understand a billion dollars is a one followed by nine zeros. A billion dollars, if you took $100 bills and you stacked them to get a billion dollars, it would weigh over 22,000 pounds. I know what a billion dollars is. If I had saved $100 every day, it would take me 27,000 years to save a billion dollars. I understand what it is. And you look at them, would you say, oh yeah, they, they grasp what, they, what they've won. Or a child who gets that news, jumps up and down, dances, screams Yahoo, goes and runs home to tell their parents, would that child better understand and grasp what they've won? You see, we're so concerned with the articulation that we forget about the adoration if you grasp every spiritual blessing you have in the heavenly places, it's not merely evidence through knowledge, but through worship. This is just the way it is. Have you seen the videos of people taking uh, Mentos candy and dropping them into a two-liter uh, bottle of Coke? And what you know happens is as soon as it's dropped, there's a chemical reaction. The carbon dioxide begins to bubble and it explodes forth. If you dropped a piece of candy into a bottle of soda and it didn't explode forth, that would mean not that something's wrong with the candy, but something's wrong with the soda. It would mean the soda is flat. It's lost all of its carbon dioxide. If you say that you get the gospel 
there's no explosion or praise that comes out, there's nothing wrong with the gospel. There's something wrong with your heart. It's gone flat. You see, when the gospel is up here, it can trickle down and come out of here easily. When I get the gospel, I can talk about the gospel. But if the gospel isn't here, but it drops into your heart, then it erupts forth in praise. Is there a grasp of your spiritual blessings? And if there is, are you blessing the Lord? Not just in singing, by the way. You can bless the Lord in so many ways. You bless the Lord in prayer and thanksgiving. You bless the the Lord in, in listening to songs that stir your heart and affection from you. Bless the Lord when you talk to others in everyday conversations. This is what the Lord is doing. Isn't he good? Are you blessing the Lord? Here's the second thing. and It's a little harder um, to receive, but here's the second thing. You will sacrifice material blessings for others. Vertically, you will bless God. Horizontally, you will bless others. Very practically, one measure of grasping the spiritual blessings in Christ is a person's willingness to be generous with their material blessings. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says that you get in on every spiritual blessing because Jesus has shared them with you. Jesus does not hoard the blessings for himself, but he takes what is rightfully his and he graciously gives them to you. There is no stinginess and no selfishness in the heart of Jesus Christ. And if that's true, if you truly believe this, if you find your riches and the spiritual blessings he's given, it powerfully begins to loosen your grip over the material, earthly, physical blessings in this world, the things of this world. Because if you're rich in the ways that truly matter and you believe it, then it's reflected in generosity and hospitality and caring. You know, here's the hard truth of it. If you are not planning for sacrificial generosity, you are planning for selfish stinginess. If you're not planning to be generous, then you are preserving your already set plan, which is to hoard and keep for yourself. But if you understand the overflow of the blessings you have in Christ, how much blessing there is, every spiritual blessing, blessings that are so abounding, you can't hold it in one hand, it requires both hands to hold it. But if you're holding every spiritual blessing you have in Christ, then there's no way you can simultaneously be grasping after material blessings. Instead, what we realize is that if I want to take hold of every blessing Christ has given, it loosens my grip over these things. And I get it though, like this is really tough because Uh, The material blessings are the things that we can enjoy and experience now. I can touch, taste, see, feel, hear material blessings. They're so perceivable. But spiritual blessings, I have no sight of them. I have to receive them by faith. So we actually need a very, a mechanism, a practice by which we can actually begin to cherish more of the spiritual blessings Christ has given to us. Why don't we think more about every spiritual blessing? Like, why don't you think more about them? Why aren't they more valuable to you? It's because we're so distracted and caught up with the concerns that we have. We want more and more and more. And this is true in circumstances where you have a lot, but it's also true in circumstances where you have a little. Sometimes we think, you know, love for the things of the world, love for money. Oh, that's a struggle of rich people. No, it's a struggle of all people. And the obsession of our hearts is because we cannot see the blessings in the heavenly places. It's like our hearts are helium-filled balloons. They're meant to soar into the sky 
into the heavenly places to enjoy and experience every spiritual blessing we have in Christ. But that helium-filled heart of ours is tethered. It's tied down to something in the world. It's anchoring us down here so that we don't experience the blessings we have in the heavenly places. We're only concerned about what more we can amass and have here. What then is the act of sacrificial generosity? It's cutting the rope. It's cutting the string. Why? So then our hearts can now soar into the heavenly places and enjoy the blessings we have in Christ. My encouragement here with this, just to be practical, start this week, start with something small. What very practical, small way can you be generous to somebody else? Here's what I would do. I would memorize Ephesians 1, verse 3. (laughs) Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You memorize it, you meditate on it, then you make it happen. Because when you begin to live sacrificially and generously, what you're doing is, one, you're reflecting to the world. My riches are in heaven. My riches are in Christ. You're reflecting to the world, but then you're also reminding yourself, remembering yourself. I can do this because my riches are in Christ. I can do this because in him I have every spiritual blessing. And in this way, we actually begin to live out the truth of this scripture. You know, the call to sing God's blessing and the call to sacrifice material blessings is because of this very good news that in Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing. Let's pray.